Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast, live from the Boogie Down Bronx. I'm your host, Michael Nunez, our co-host today. Dave Anderson. And today, we'll be talking about remote spaces. We've, we've been remote in various spaces. For some time, forcefully, as, so we're practicing, as we're practicing social distancing. I wish I was there in the Bronx with you, but I'm so far away. I'm so, <laughs> so far from Jersey, right? You're in you're in Jersey right now. Yeah i I can't quite see the Bronx from here, but you know I'm straining my eyes. Yeah, don't don't hurt yourself. Before we begin, we have a special guest. We have today Esther Derby. Good evening, Esther. How are you? I'm great, and I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Where where are you calling us from right now? I am joining you from lovely, lively Duluth, Minnesota. Oh, that's far oh, from the Bronx. It's very <laughs> far from the Bronx. It's very quite a remote space. Bronx. Yeah, it is a remote <laughs> space in some ways, although it's the 17th largest port in the U.S. Oh, there you go. Even though it's, what, 1,200 miles from the coast? <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Esther, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well... I started my professional career as a programmer, and because I was good at working with code, they promoted me to be a manager, which is a completely different set of skills, you know, just completely different. Um, <laughs> so I had to learn, you know, a different set of skills, and, you know, over the years, I had a, a bunch of different roles, and, you know, being in those roles and working in corporate situations led me to care deeply about making work more humane. So that's really what I work on now. It's how to make work more more humane. I feel like that's that's very important work, especially now when we're so removed from the human element of collaboration. Like there's so many tiny boxes on my computer screen that have people inside of them and yeah I, I feel like right now we're relearning a lot of the basic things that we figured out missing my post-it notes all my missing, informational workspaces missing my peeps and my post-it notes yeah my peeps and my post-it notes yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gonna get a tattoo with that <laughs> my peeps and my post-it notes well it, you know it's it, there's so much that has that has changed that we used to take for granted like all of the opportunistic conversations we used to have with people before a meeting started or after a meeting ended or walking to the next one or going for a coffee and all that all of that you know we can recreate but we have to be intentional about it right yeah we we had a retro the other week where you know the, when things started as they are right now in 2020 like i was already on a team that had formed and so we knew each other mm -hmm. And we had a bond and we were getting things done. And that project ended. And now I'm on a new team with people I've never worked on with before who are in various places. Mm -hmm. And you know, we realized that we don't really have any time that's unstructured time to talk with each other. So this came up in retro and we scheduled unstructured time on the calendar <laughs> to like talk about whatever came to mind. And we had our first session today, and it was it was interesting. How did it go? I, it was fun. We talked about like Taco Bell and <laughs> oh yes, Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> the most unstructured thing that could be talked about, which Taco is Bell. not it's not so far removed because it's actually a restaurant related 
project. So <laughs> like it it's it's adjacent, but you know, still <laughs> pretty pretty far out there. But like the the rules are a little bit different. It's like yeah. you can't really have as breakout of conversations. There's really one voice at a time. Well, some something I did years ago when I, you know, when we could still travel, which wasn't actually that long ago, but I was working with a group where we had people in Europe and we had people in the Middle East and we had people in the US in several different time zones. And every, the only time people interacted was in WebEx meetings, which meant they didn't have any way to get to know each other. So I set up a little back channel, which, <laughs> which was, it was just, you know, it was an unauthorized tool. And just the team members were there. And it was a place where people could just, you know, talk about whatever. I mean, we talked about work stuff there. So, we, you know, we could just talk about anything. And that's where we actually got to know each other. And that's where, you know, we developed the trust and understanding where we could really work more effectively as a team. How big of a team was it? Um, that was that? that was that particular team was about... There were about eight or nine of us working on that. But I, I had done similar things with, with larger and smaller teams over the years where we just were never going to be in the same physical space. So we, we created a little unstructured remote space for ourselves. It worked great. We got to know each other. And then the managers found out and they were upset. Oh, no. <laughs> really? Yeah. Boy, yeah. It was like, what are, what are you doing there? What are you talking about there? <laughs> Why aren't you working? Is that Oh man, no, that Yeah, so so I had bummer. to Yeah, I had to go to bat and explain why we were doing that and why they weren't included. Mm. <laughs> because So like it, that was a conscious decision not to include managers. Oh, absolutely, because if the managers had been there, it would have been be on task. We have an agenda, you know, you're wasting time by by, you know, just talking about you know, where you went on vacation or, you know, something you learned that was interesting and, but not necessarily directly relevant to work. And even if the managers hadn't said that, and there's so much internalized belief that, you know, if the managers are looking, they'll notice that you're not, you know, on task and it'll show up in your review. So yeah, it was a very conscious decision on my point. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it was a very conscious decision not to involve them. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of like what a proper or what what a, a tool might look like for a back channel these days. Like Slack feels like it could be that tool. Like if you have a, a private channel, but it's also a work thing. Yeah. As well. Yeah. In its own form. You have we- to make a separate Slack channel, I guess, a whole other org and then invite people to that, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, we just we just did a Skype. Back when Skype was usable. Oh, back when <laughs> Skype was usable. <laughs> Are you listening, Microsoft? No. <laughs> this is not a back channel. <laughs> I know. Sorry. Yeah. So that's one thing that's really changed is that, you know, where do we where do we make connections with people? Where do we actually get to know people on a on a human level so we can connect and learn to trust each other and learn what each other's strengths are and develop some some of that personal connection that serves us really well when we end up in conflict right because we have something to 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 land back on yeah that's that's totally true like it feels very risky to disagree with somebody 
who you don't have a positive rapport with. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh no, they're not going to like me. <laughs> like th- that becomes the personal connection where it's like, I, I'm the guy who disagrees with you. Yeah. Instead of like, you know, having the Taco Bell connection. Or, or, you know, we have kids the same age or, you know, we grew up in the same part of the country or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, p- people connect over, you know, hundreds of hundreds of ways, you know, finding little common ground, sometimes connecting on the fact that we're so different. Right. Because, well, that's sort of intriguing that you're, you know, you grew up in such a different way than I did or you have a different background. But that connection is super important for collaborative work. Do you have any tips for like facilitating the use of that kind of a channel or like the adoption of it? I would just set some, some, you know, basic ground rules that have to do with, you know, well, we're not going to talk about sex and drugs, you know, because it is a work thing after all. And, you know, what happens here is between us, unless, you know, there's something that happens that is really extraordinary that has to be dealt with. And I've never seen that happen. And I've done this several times. But I think making it explicit that the that just, you know, chatter is fine is an important part of it. You can talk about work, but you can also just chat. Mm. And you can sometimes seed it with questions or seed it with, well, I just, you know, I found this really interesting thing, blah, blah, blah. It takes a little nurturing. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I've uh, I've experimented using Discord, which is a tool for like a chat server, which is not very dissimilar to what Skype was, I guess, in the in the glory days, where you can have like group group voice chats and things like that. We often did ours totally by IM. Right. Oh, okay. Just yeah. Text. I mean, we didn't. We, we got. A, we did voice chat once in a great while, but but a lot of it was just I am, and it was Async. enough. You know, it was mm-hmm. enough. You know, I still talk to a lot of those people, and some of them got to be good friends. So, I do have a question. I guess Dave, you mentioned in the retro to create this space of like banter. Is it like scheduled? Like it's once a week, or is it once every day? Like how does how does that work? Because like, like being in the office, you know, you can you you do you have water cooler talk? That's not scheduled, right? Like that thing, conversations that you have with people were organic when you were in the office. And I'm curious, what approach did your team take, Dave? And what approaches should or can someone make uh, for you, Esther? Uh, Dave, what is the schedule you guys have? I mean, we we set it up once. This is the first week that we did it, but we we have it once a week right now but i think we've also kind of consciously and kind of unconsciously acknowledged that you know the first five minutes of a meeting are like kind of non-productive time like it like our stand-up productive time no (laughs) (laughs) but time is money and I'm not making. Well, I guess am I making money? I guess I'm billing. Yeah, <laughs> but but it's productive to be building the rapport in the team and getting to know other people. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I I feel like there's like a a muscle that I've flexed so many times. Like particularly with stand up. Like stand up's the first thing in the day, mm-hmm. and it's like very useful for getting context quickly and then setting the tone, getting things done right afterwards, and. You know, we'd always try to like keep the amount of time that we're there because we're standing low. 
but now I I don't think we stand anymore. Like we're all sitting. <laughs> <laughs> could. We could stand, but we also take the time more to say like, you know, good morning and how are you? Like how are things going? And like kind of don't rush it too much. But like when we get started, we we try to get it done quickly. Well, I, I think and I think in some ways just setting aside some time in every meeting for connection is a, is a useful thing to do and something that that will mitigate the distance, right? Just let's acknowledge that the first 7 minutes of the meeting we're going to be checking in because people are are facing challenges that they weren't facing, you know, before we all started trying to work from home during a pandemic. Yeah, I think uh, I mentioned before and happens oftentimes, but my son will either pop up on the podcast or show up in the meeting and he's now a regular employee <laughs> to the co- to stride right now, essentially. And well, and a co-co-host of the yes, podcast. Yes. Of the co-co-host, yes. <laughs> so so that, that points to another thing that is happening for people now is that the contexts are collapsing, right? You know, we used to have like home and work. And maybe you'd, you know, have some home-related calls during the day or you'd check in on things or something, some extraordinary event would, you know, come up, you know, they'd call and kid had to be taken home from daycare or whatever. But they were largely separate. And our lives, you know, you know, were our spaces were separate. And now they're the same. And I think that leads to a whole um, level of stress and distress. For people. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's interesting, like the shifting kind of target of that as well. Like for for me, like we adopted a dog last summer, and we had a dog walker that would like come and help out with the dog during the day. Mm-hmm. And for a while, that wasn't possible. So you know, we kind of got got by with that. And you know, she's a rescue, so she's got like you know PTSD a little bit. But, you know, she's, she's generally good and we like figured out a pattern and now like the dog walker is able to come in again. And now like so but the time that she comes is like random and unexpected. And those times are very exciting for the dog and very distracting for anything that we're trying to get done. <laughs> so I totally I totally feel that context collapsing thing happening big time this week <laughs> yeah well and and i think you know you know to a certain extent um people kind of put on a persona when they go to work right like um i think this is particularly true the higher up the hierarchy you go where there's a you know you you have to present a certain kind of view of yourself and that can go away when you're working from home i mean i know one one guy a friend a friend of mine's husband is now managing many teams from his daughter's pink frilly uh, playroom. And, <laughs> and so, you know, you know, he's, it, it shifts pe- people's perceptions of you. It shifts your perception of yourself. And I, I, some people try to draw a very, very firm boundary and say, no, you should, you know, never allow your children to be in the background, never allow your dog. And I think that's, <laughs> I think that's inhumane. Mm. and unrealistic yeah this again against the thesis that we were talking about early about making work in general more humane and it's really difficult as you mentioned yeah 
That kid so. has a has a mind of his own, and if he wants to run this direction, then so be it. And and he has needs uh, that need to be attended yeah. to by an adult. I have one friend whose employer has told all their employees that the official line is that you know if you have to attend to your kid for two minutes or five minutes or whatever, you need to you need to go off the clock. Oh and wow! And take paid time off. Oh my gosh! Yeah. No, 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 no. Oh my gosh. No, 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 no. No, I can't (laughs) can't imagine. It's just like there's a, um, there's a, like if I'm like working, I can turn over to my wife and I look while she's carrying our son and she nods yes that I have to step away because he probably did a stinker (laughs) that I have to help and assist on because. That takes more than one person to to have a clean job there. That's very cruel if you are told – if I was told that I needed to take PTO, like to, to ensure that a diaper change happens yeah. and like where everyone's okay, like that's that's nuts. That's a sick day right that's there. A, yeah, that's <laughs> – that's very harsh. Like because like everyone's going through this, you know, we unfortunately didn't ask for it, but we're doing the best that we can with, you know – you know, child has needs, right? You can't yep. can't be walking around with a soiled diaper for so long. Like, we need to do something about that. Retrospective prime directive every day. Yeah. Doing <laughs> the best you can. What you got? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so people think somehow that this will be more efficient, but I think that's not actually true. You know, you know, if you have to clock out and then clock back in, that is its own type of friction. Versus, you know, you just take care of something for a few minutes and then you're back. Plus, I think it, I think it, it contributes to resentment. It contributes to a feeling that I'm not being treated like a human. Uh, you know, I'm being treated like an automaton. Um, so I think it's, yeah, counterproductive. It took me some time to, because like I was really hard on myself in those regards. Like, um, like, oh, I'm at work. Like, I can't really help. I have to stick around and do these things. But I think I just we just been in COVID long enough where it's like, you know what? No, I'm doing this. He he's yeah. hungry. I got to cut some apples really quick for him. I'm doing that. Mm. And I think that um, when you have when you have the ability to create a remote space for individuals to know, like, if if my peers were aware that you know my my son is cute but he also needs to eat and we need to change a diaper and we had these conversations about how difficult it sure. is with my teammates then they will be more uh relaxed when i do have to step away i imagine that the place where you're the person you mentioned esther uh is working probably doesn't have remote spaces where people need to care or would want to care for their peers in the situation because like who would say you have to take PTO to do something else. Well, right? actually, like the, actually, the people there really do care about each other, and it was a you know handed down from the top policy. But and, I'm I'm trying to imagine like what kind of external forces are that like shape people's belief that that is the needed thing. Like, because if it's like okay, I'm your manager, and I believe that I value you as a person, but then I also have this contrary policy where like you know command and control kind of thing huge gap <laughs> yeah i think there's long been a concern about you know are we getting are we getting enough work out of people are we getting our money's worth out of them 
And I do hear people speak that. But even when people don't speak it, I think that belief kind of pervades um, people's thinking about about management versus workers. Right? And if we, mm-hmm. if we, I think a lot of people are afraid that if we if we don't if we don't stay on top of people, they'll slack off, which is deeply insulting. Yeah, I mean, everyone is going through their own like experience of what's happening and mm-hmm. distractions are going to be natural and people are learning how to yeah. fend off those distractions and to think that you, no one can have distractions. You have to continue to you know, output 100% energy as you did when you were in the office is, is kind of crazy. Well, and in some ways people can be more productive if they're allowed to follow the flow of their energy. Right. I think that's that's another thing that I have observed is that, I mean, this isn't true for me because of the nature of the work I do, but I have friends who are expected to be on Zoom meetings eight hours a day. And that is just exhausting. It's just very structured. exhausting. You know, you go back to back to back to back Zoom meetings. And, and so I think, I think it's important for people to rethink what has to be done synchronously and what can be done asynchronously yeah i had an interesting experience at the kickoff of this project that i'm on right now so we we did a design sprint like modeled after the google design sprint which normally is a very intense thing because like you're in the same room for those eight hours but you know it was eight hours of zoom meetings (laughs) (laughs) exhausting yeah but you know it 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 kind of is like bringing it back to what we were talking about earlier like a collaborative space where we're trying to very quickly come together and ideate and you know align and figure out what what the next things are so how was the remote space designed to support that if we were in person we would have used post-it notes and drawn pictures and sat quietly and listened to music and had shared snacks and things like that. (laughs) So a lot of those things were kind of like BYO. Like Mm -hmm. if you didn't, if you didn't have a snack or a drink, then you didn't have it. (laughs) No snack for you. I did not bring enough for the whole class. But we were able to set up like a, a Miro space for collaboration. And I, I saw that you had mentioned Miro in a tweet or a blog mm-hmm. post a while back. And yeah, I had not really used it very much, but that seemed like a pretty close, pretty close to what we want we wanted the experience to be. You you can actually do a lot with some of those online whiteboards. I find that it helps to be more structured in remote meetings, right? And everything takes longer. Everything takes longer, mm-hmm. right? And, and you just have to think about your agenda and think about how you're going to accomplish what the goal is and how you're going to encourage participation a lot more, in a lot more detail and a lot more explicitly. Because, I mean, when you're together, you can kind of, you know, just wave your hands and, you know. <laughs> facilitation you can kind of just like play it by ear facilitation is a skill and an art of itself and you and, and you have to know what you're doing and you have to plan ahead but there are a lot of things that 
you can explain differently or, you know, it's easier to kind of read the energy. It's easier to see if someone has a puzzled look and you might want to see if they have a question. So, so I, I, you know, even the idea about, okay, okay, we're going to go, we're going to do a round robin here and people are going to, everyone's going to say what they're going to say. And, you know, you can do that in a room. You just look at the person to your right or your left and then you go around the circle. But even that's, has to be orchestrated a little differently if you're in a remote space. Yeah. the <laughs> I think we tried that one time with Zoom and we're like, okay, we're just going to go scanning down the row. Except people and are in we found different that places. On different it is non-deterministic yeah. where you yeah. are in a Zoom meeting. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> yes. So I'm in so. the middle right now. I don't know mm. where I am for you guys. Top. But on my screen, I'm in the middle. Your top dog <laughs> on my screen. Oh, okay. Well, see, it wouldn't work. So I know these, I met these two women in South Africa a few years ago, Jay Allen Morris and uh, Kirsten Clacy. They, they just have a book coming out, I think, last week, maybe, on remote facilitation. And they do a lot with like Google Slides and other free to use things. But you know, so one of the things they I learned from them about that round, round robin thing is you just you know you have you can you can have a little virtual ball and you can pass it around a circle or you can have you know everybody's name around the circle and then you go around the one. So so there's things there's things you can do to equalize participation and ensure participation in remote spaces, but you have to, you have to put more effort into it. Right, you have to like think through what tools are going to support right to replace the the kind of pervasive nonverbal and other like yeah. things that we have available that, that's a pretty interesting idea i never thought about that before like actually using the whiteboard to simulate the space a little mm-hmm. bit where people are represented in the space and can kind of like draw attention to themselves or what have you there was a facilitation trick for like a, a like I, I saw someone d- using this tutorial. It was a pretty big class, and they handed out like green and red uh, cards, so people are able to like indicate where their state is mm-hmm. if they are if they are good or if they are not good. And I, I think that's kind of interesting too. I, I saw that like there's more abilities in kind of like uh these chat platforms or video conference platforms to kind of like indicate that you know you have a yes or a no or thumbs up thumbs down yeah well or even just using the chat more in a more conscious manner you know so taking take taking advantage of the chat to cue questions or to to indicate people want to speak or because it's hard to get attention in a zoom meeting that's true and also like sometimes you don't want the full attention sometimes you just want to whisper yeah well, there's that <laughs> <laughs> i always forget about the raise hand feature in zoom but that that i find that to be too many clicks i was just pressing that button right now i was like oh yeah there's this i i'm i'm clapping right now actually but uh <laughs> it's giving, a bit I'm subtle and there's a, a lot of clicking up. thumbs up yay thumbs up, but how do i get it back how do i turn it off you must you must thumbs up for now forever now, for for, for the entire meeting ap- right now permanent affirmation yep. <laughs> pervasive so affirmation epic. it's like the end of Terminator Two forever yeah. now it's gone 
Oh. So we're all remote and managers need to know every single minute and every single click of a particular user. Is that no, safe to say right now? No, not. no, they do not. <laughs> no, no, no. I know no. there's a lot of places that like, I mean, they're thinking about software of like what people are clicking. And I find that to be really, really intrusive at this point. Are, is there any piece of feedback that you may have for, for managers right now? If there's one thing you need to like tell every manager who could be listening to this episode in the world would be the thing, the one thing that they would have to consider, I guess, since we're, you know, working from home. Well, I think, I think we need both more trust and more flexibility, right? I mean, we're talking about how our contexts are collapsing and that speaks to the need for flexibility and, the idea of putting surveillance software on someone's computer, which uh, there was actually a run on this sort of software right after people started working from home back in March, and the sales of surveillance software went way up. But that will destroy trust. And and frankly, managers do not need to know what is happening every minute of every day. I mean, uh, frankly, you know, thinking back to my days as a manager, you know, if someone spent you know two hours of the afternoon playing video games on their couch. As long as they got the work that needed to be done, done, you know, who cares, right? I mean, that's part of their creative flow, perhaps, or part of their energy flow. But I think people get concerned about, you know, are people really working hard? Are they going to slack off? Which I think is deeply insulting. And we need to focus more on outcomes. So we need to be really clear on, you know, what, what, what problem are we trying to solve for what group of people? For what benefit? Um, how are we, you know, how does the company make money? How does your work fit into the product? How does your work change the life of the customer? So all of that contextual stuff enables people to make better judgments. And it means that they don't need to have as much intervention in terms of d- direction. So the the tendency, I think, when people feel like they're losing control is to try to get more control and to micromanage. And the alternative to that is just to be really clear on what the North Star is. Right. Really clear. Which Go ahead. sounds hard, actually. It sounds hard. They might not know what the North Star is. Well, they might not, but then they need to find out, right? Because their, yeah. <laughs> their job is to, to enable people to, to solve problems. You know, and, may, and they have exposed a more fundamental problem where they're like, well, oh, wait, this is actually harder. Well, the other thing that may come up is like, well, and I have heard managers say this, if I'm not the one who has all this knowledge, then I'm replaceable. You know, I can't share this because then where, you know, where's my value? And I I get that. But I think, you know, the way I think about management is the fundamentally two things that they need to attend to. One is developing people and the other is working on the system. So that people are enabled to work creatively on solving the customer's problems, whether mm-hmm. they do that by building software or delivering a service or whatever it is. So, so you know, the stuff about developing people, you can still meet one-on-one with people over Zoom. That's actually in some ways uh, the easier thing. But the other part is, is creating the environment where people are empowered to do good work and they feel that they are valued and trusted distrust begets distrust so what's an example of like some kind of outcomes that a manager or you know someone who's being managed could set to 
kind of uh, foster this kind of creativity or this kind of flexibility? Well, so so I, I think being able to articulate what problem are we solving for what group of people or what benefit are we providing to what group of people? What will they be able to do as the result of this product we're building or this, this service we're delivering? I think that's the starting point. And then you can get more granular about that. You know, So this feature is intended to address this problem or this is the problem we're trying to solve. Actually quite qualitative where like, I mean, it sounds like you're describing like a story or like a, a, a sprint commitment or an epic or yeah, something Yeah, I mean, like you could that. think of it in those terms. I don't think setting specific targets like you must, you must produce 80 widgets by such and such a date. I mean, <laughs> you know, that is not an outcome. Right. Yeah. Right. Got to get those lines of code up. Got to get those points Ooh. up. No, no. Oh, this used to lead to what we called bloatware when I was writing code. Mm. <laughs> yes, people people thought lines of code was a an indicator of productivity, but really, what you get is bloatware. <laughs> the true measure of productivity in software is software not written. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just delete it all. No. <laughs> delete it all. <laughs> no tests. Just to remove all the tests. That that'll do it. So. I want to talk about like, so we know one way to improve or gain trust is to, you know, know more about uh, your peers and your and the individuals on your team. Do you schedule more one-on-ones with them or more one-on-ones with the entire group? Because I know, like we mentioned before, like Zoom can be very tiring and mm-hmm. like the context switching of, mm-hmm. you know writing that widget and then having to switch to a zoom meeting then having to go back to you know to coding and then have another meeting like are we in, should we increase the amount of times that we're meeting with individuals because we cannot meet with them as often in an office versus at home well i i mean i think for managers i think if they haven't been having one-on-ones with with people now is a good time to start because it's, it's one way you maintain connection with people and you discover what their context is, so you can you know you can appropriately flex to it. I mean, it's not like you you flex to everything, but you you know there's boundaries around around you know what is acceptable. But it enables you to understand where they're coming from and what their context is, and negotiate expectations. So I think it's super useful for managers to still be having those conversations with people, right? Those people still care about where their career is going. They still have stuff they need to deal with. They still, you know, so I think that's super important. And I think, you know, I think for peers, having that back channel is a way to do that. I don't know that you necessarily have to schedule one-on-ones with everybody on your team, but some, some people, some of the time, from a peer perspective. Yeah. And I guess even if it's not scheduled, like just keeping in mind that, you're trying to have that time for connection with people right? whenever you can get it. And that even though it feels like you got to get those widgets, like mm-hmm. that the connection with the people is just as important. Well, it supports getting the widgets. I want to go back to what um, you said, Michael, about the context switching is. And I think, I think when people know there's going to be a switch, it's a little easier than when it is random. Right. So if you know that, Every other Tuesday at two o'clock, I'm going to have half hour chat with my manager. Then you kind of mentally arrange so that that 
oh, okay, I have this meeting coming up at, at, at two o'clock. I'm not going to pick up something new. I'll finish off this thing I'm doing. So, so it's a, you're at better able to manage your, you know, your brain cycles around focus and completion than just being randomly interrupted. But switching back and forth multiple times a day is hard on people and it's hard on productivity. Esther, you said you had, you had mentioned uh, resources about remote facilitation. Could you give us some details yes. on the article or the book? So J. Allen Morris and Kirsten Clacy wrote a book called The Remote Facilitator's Pocket Guide. It just came out last week. They actually moved the publication date up by several months. Uh, because it's so topical. I mean, if ever a book hit the topic, right? You know, yeah. So gotta and, deliver. It, yeah. So Just it's um, better hope that you have pockets to keep the book in. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yes. Um, so it's it's based around principles, but they have a lot of practices and tips that people can apply. So go grab that book. Awesome. And yeah, how can people reach out to you? Do you have anything coming up in in the works in the pipeline? Uh, tell us what you have, Esther Dermy. Well, my most recent book came out last August, um, Seven Rules for Positive Productive Change, Micro Shifts and Macro Results. And I just released an online course that's based on the book. So it is organized around some of the biggest pain points that I see in organizational change. And the, the people who participate in the class apply the heuristics in the book to those problems in their own context. So um, it's not abstract. It is, you know, really focusing in on your context and how can you apply these um, these heuristics or rules from the book to these problems that people always experience with change. Like, um, you know, people don't want to change with the speed or enthusiasm that you desired, or you know, you you do all this training but nothing really changes, or someone comes up with a one size fits all solution that doesn't really fit anyone. Or, you know, mm. people, people are left alone to rely on persuasion to, to get other people to change. And so it looks at how you can leverage networks and influence. So I'm super excited about it. There's a self-study version and a cohort version. And the, live, the first live cohort will be starting on July 30th. Oh, fun. Awesome. How yeah. can people register for that? They can go to estherderby.teachable.com. And they can find other great stuff on my website, estherderby.com, E-S-T-H-E-R-D-E-R-B-Y, all one word. Yeah, it sounds awesome. like a pretty exciting class. Like I, I imagine like those kind of rules for change are something that benefit from like practice and like repetition that may be harder to do if you're just reading a book. Well, I think it's I think it's always useful to apply some Apply what you're learning with the opportunity for some practice and some discussion and, and conversation, right? So it's guided learning. Cool. Awesome. Esther, thank you so much for coming on down to the rabbit hole. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. I always I always like being on the rabbit hole. <laughs> or in, is it in the rabbit hole? In, yeah, well, yeah, you jump in. Yeah. I just say on. <laughs> you're okay. on it, but you got to get in it. <laughs> but yeah. Jumping on in, thank you. Wherever it is, it's it's Where? our uh, collaborative remote space. There you go. <laughs> it was great. I, it was, I really I really love talking with you guys. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? 
Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.